So this afternoon we're studying Luke chapter 6 verses 27 to 36. Luke chapter 6 verses 27 to 36. And before I read it, I'll pray. So please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, please help me now as I seek to study and explain the word to your people. I pray, Father, that you would give me wisdom from above, that I would speak according to your will and according to that which you have revealed. Let me not speak according to the imaginations of men, nor of myself, nor the doctrines of devils. But may what we hear be the word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27. Jesus is speaking. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful even as your father is merciful amen and may god bless his word when we read a passage like that when when we read the lord jesus himself speaking to us and commanding us his people to be a certain kind of people, to live a certain kind of life, to behave in a certain way. Well, the first thing I want you not to do is not to sit there with, with, with a foolish smile on your face and think, this is so nice. Everything he's saying here is just so nice and it's so wonderful. And I, I, just, I just love the niceness of all this. Okay, there are things here that are certainly good. There are things here that are certainly pleasing. But if you come to the conclusion that what this is, is this is a nice way to live and that the challenge to you is to be as nice as you can possibly be nice, well, believe it or not, you're on the way to becoming a legalist. You're on the way to basically setting a standard for yourself and for others that you will then judge yourself against and you will judge others. And um, if you consider that the commandment to love your enemies and um, et cetera, et cetera, is a commandment to develop an emotional attachment to everyone you meet, well, you're going to drive yourself nuts in the end. Okay, we're not being commanded here to try and develop emotional attachments with everybody in the world. We're not being commanded here to pretend that truth is not truth and that reality is not reality. We're being challenged here to be godly. Jesus concludes with, um, with the words, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We're being commanded 
to live lives that are godly and reflective of godliness. We're being commanded to live lives that if people know us, well, there's some hope that in seeing us, they'll be seeing something of the nature of God. And if you start to think that way, well, this commandment is actually going to start breaking down pride. Or these commandments, this teaching is going to start breaking down our pride. It's going to start breaking down all hope of self-accomplishment, all hope of self-salvation. When, when we listen to this seriously and we take this seriously, what we start to become is we start to become those poor people who are blessed. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. We're going to realise that we don't have what we need and that we can't do these things. It's, it's not as easy as just saying them. But I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Wow. That's actually not easy in the heat of the moment because more often than not, when, when people basically just hate us on sight, when people um, curse us, when people abuse us, and how about verse 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. You know, that's not your first instinct. It's most certainly not mine to basically... Submit. The commandment here is basically do not make a bad situation worse through responding from the flesh. You know, in, in Galatians chapter six, the apostle Paul gives us a list of the of the of the of the works of the flesh are evident: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, rudeness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. That's what that's what the flesh does, and we're being told don't necessarily obey your first instincts. But at the same time, you need to think carefully about these things because you're not necessarily being given rules for life and in all situations. For example, as a father raising children, are you supposed to bless your children should they curse you? And if your child strikes you, are you supposed to turn the other cheek and let your child strike the other cheek? And I've seen parents who are silly enough to do these things. I've seen parents, their children pick up a stick and wallop their father on the back with a stick while his back was turned and he was talking to other people. And their father does absolutely nothing and behaves as though this is just normal childish behaviour. Is that what we're commanded to do with regards to the children who are placed under our authority? Or does scripture command us to discipline our son and warn us that if we don't discipline our son, we're actually condemning him for hell. We're preparing him for eternal destruction. So we're, 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 we're to think about these things and we're to think about these things as disciples and we're to think about these things in particular with regards to our relationship with Jesus. We're to love our enemies. We're to want what's best for our enemies. There are those in the world at this moment who are wicked and who hate the church. They hate Christianity. They hate all things good. They are in rebellion against the word of God and they are doing wicked things. You know, there are people in this world who are just like Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting the church, casting Christians into jail and torturing them and trying to force them to blaspheme God through denying Jesus. 
And God chose to save the Apostle Paul and to make him a trophy of grace. God saved him from that which he truly deserved. We're to love our enemies, and that's a hard commandment. We're to restrain ourselves from wishing evil upon them. We're to leave them, as it were, in the hands of God. But we're not just to leave them in the hands of God with regards to their day-to-day lives. We're actually to hope for the best. We're to hope that they will repent. We're to hope that they will turn their hands and turn their hearts and their lives over to the Lord Jesus and do that which they ought to do. It's interesting. Jesus gets into these um, these particular subjects that have been in some ways dealt with by Old Testament Jewish law. That's why we, we read from Exodus chapter 22 on, on and into Exodus chapter 23, where there are commandments that you're never to take away a person's cloak as security for a loan. Do not take away a person's clothing as security for a loan. Yet here Jesus says, look, if someone's going to take your cloak, you might as well let them take your, we would say, T-shirt, undershirt. Might as well let them take your tunic as well. They can take the outer layer and the inner layer. We'll let go of it if they want to take it. Give to everyone who begs for you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. You know, it's not a nice feeling when someone steals from you. It's not a nice feeling when someone lifts things off you, whether they do it with the uh, cloak of legality or whether they just simply thieve. From one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. It's, um, it's a call to live a life that's not easy and it's a call to live a life that's not according to our first and most natural instincts. What, what have you got? There are things that we have if people take them from us. We're, um, we're not going to accept that. We're not going to be happy about that. But Jesus says, um, why are you worrying about these things? You know, what's being held out before us is this overcoming and transforming faith in God, which is basically such a transforming and shaping things in our life, shaping thing in our life that um, we can let go of anything and submit to the providence of God. Anything whatsoever. We can let go of pride. For example, one who strikes the cheek, turn the other one to him. We can let go of clothing. We can let go of our goods. We can uh, basically submit and surrender to God. That's what we're commanded to do. Jesus goes on, verse 32, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Notice. We're not supposed to be like the world around about us. We're not supposed to be like everyone else in the world. Okay, one of the most violent and aggressive religions in the world is Islam. And they're great family people. They, they, they love their immediate family. They love their extended family. They love to spend their time together. They work together. They run businesses together. They help each other constantly. And all of those things are good things and all of those things are the bare minimum that you would expect from a Christian congregation, that you would expect from Christian families, that you would expect from Christian people. Yet, 
What about the way we treat those whom Jesus is calling sinners? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. The commandment is, do not be like the world around about you. The commandment is that we are supposed to be the people who do good for for anyone that we meet and we expect nothing in return. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Now, once again, Jesus is saying something here that the law actually permits. We, we read it. We read it in Exodus. If a man lends something to a man, he has the right to expect repayment. Yet Jesus is saying, here's what love could look like. It could like lending to someone and expecting nothing back. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. What, what would that mean? Be kind to the ungrateful and the evil. How is God? You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. How is God kind to the ungrateful and the evil? And how is, how is Jesus telling us that we should imitate that kindness? Well, what, what are we apart from the Lord Jesus? What are we apart from Christ? What is, what is the first great indicator that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil? What, what does you know, it's, it's, it's the famous verse, the most popular verse in the, in the world, apparently. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, people who are saved, we who are being saved, when you get down to the, to the, bare, to the bare brass buttons of it, what are we apart from salvation? What kind of people were we? You know, were we good people? Were we deserving what God has done for us? Were we deserving that he gave his only begotten son? Apart from the work of God's Holy Spirit, would we be amongst the ungrateful and the evil? And I tell you straight, I know for sure and a certain, I was. There's no doubt about it. I was to be numbered amongst the ungrateful and the evil. Yet, God was kind to me he was kind is there any other way well what about any life or any happiness that any person has any good thing that any person gets whether they give God, give the glory to god or not why do they have any good thing at all because god permits them to have it because god gives it to them Food. Everybody should be giving thanks to God for every bite of food that we get and enjoy. Why? Because it's a gift of God. Breathing. Just just life in general. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks of prayer with thanksgiving. 
I'll be honest, there, there, were many, there was many a time in my pre-Christian life that I used to wish I had never been born. I basically hated my life so much. I was, I was very angry at many things. And it was a very big change for me when one day I suddenly thanked God that I had been born. I thanked God that he had actually brought me into the world. I realised that he had actually planned good for me, even though in my immaturity and my younger years, I couldn't see it coming. We are to be thankful for every good thing. And though people who are outside of Christ can often seem to be thankful for absolutely nothing, yet every good thing they have comes from God. You know, if, if, if you meet a husband and a wife who are not Christians, but they are happily married and have quite a happy household going. They have that household going because God blessed them with it. They have that love. They have that family because they're living according, even though they don't know it, they're living according to the way God said a family ought to be. What they have, they have because God had given it to them. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. The sun shines on the good and the bad. The rain grows food for the good and the bad. The seasons come and that cycle of life continues for the good and the bad. Those who are not Christians can have children just as well as those who are children, who are Christians. People are blessed by God and walking in the blessings of God and people do not even know it. Yet God continues to bless. God continues to give. God continues to build. We're being commanded to share in that love that God has for the world around about us. And in other places in Scripture, we're, we're commanded not to partake in the vengeance of God. In other words, to leave people to their own devices, to leave people in the hand of God, even though they refuse to hear and to honour God. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Even as Christians today, we should find these words very challenging because we're in this constant warfare. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. I've already mentioned the passage, but I'll, I'll just um, bring it out a little more. Maybe I meant turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and at verse 16. But I say, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, 
provoking one another, envying one another. So there's this division that the Apostle Paul writes of. He speaks of those who are in the flesh, those who are in the spirit. Those who are in the flesh, those who are obeying the desires of the flesh, well, you can see the works of the flesh and they are evident, etc. You've got that list of sins, that, that, that long list of sins, sexual impurity. You know, it's just, um, it's a parade of wickedness. And the Apostle Paul, speaking to Christians, warns them against the desires of the flesh. We're stuck in this life of battling with the desires of the flesh. Unfortunately, though though, um, we have been crucified in Christ and it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us, yet unfortunately that, that, that we, that, that we or that us, that person who has been crucified in Christ, he keeps trying to climb back out of the grave and keeps trying to shove his face into our business. You know, that, that person who is in Adam keeps trying to express the sins of Adam in our lives. And so Paul says these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's this, there's this battle between our spiritual life and between the life that we have had outside the spirit, that living death that we knew when we were dead in our sins. And it goes on and on. And Paul warns us, walk by the spirit. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he speaks of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. As Christians, my friends, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, it is actually there for us to obey the commands of Jesus. We're being told to do that which is impossible for us in terms of the flesh, in terms of our human nature, in terms of that which comes naturally to us. And we are being told to do what is possible for us to do by the power of God's Holy Spirit. We're being told that we who are in Christ can do these things. It is possible to love our enemies. It is possible to lend expecting nothing in return. It is possible to turn the other cheek. It is possible to love even those who hate us. It is possible to love our enemies. We can do to others as we would have them do to us. But we don't, or at least not always. Sometimes we're victorious and sometimes we're not. Sometimes the Christian life goes... um, something like the way it should, and sometimes we stumble and we slip up and we fail. And so as we read the words of Jesus, we just get challenged again and again and again. Consider your actions. Consider the way you are. Consider the way you're thinking. Are you, are you, are you shaping your Christian life by the word of God? Are you seeking to show forth the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things that are lawful, against such there is no law. Are we seeking to be Christ-like and godly? Are we seeking to love in the way that God would have us love? Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. You see, the challenge keeps breaking us down. It's, 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 one of those, it's just one of those situations where being brought into the presence of God makes us aware of our own sins and our own weakness. 
But being made aware of our own sins and our own weakness for us works good in our lives. It's actually a good thing. Why is it good? Because when we're made aware of our own sins and our own weakness, our own, the, the wickedness of the flesh, we repent. We're humbled. We seek forgiveness. We seek restoration. We seek sanctification. Knowing our failures, knowing what it is that we ought to be, we're drawn closer to God. The Apostle John speaks in a very similar way. Turn to First John. First John, chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So John, starting there at verse 5, he's speaking of a conflict. The conflict is between darkness and light. He first of all points out that God is light and in God is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, John explains what darkness is. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you think you're innocent and righteous and you've got nothing to worry about, what's John saying? You deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. If you think you're innocent and righteous and that everything you do is right, the truth is you're one of those people walking in the darkness. You're walking outside of conviction. You've got no idea. You don't realise what you ought to be. You think you're great. I'm good. I'm wonderful. I'm right. I've got nothing to worry about. And John says, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, verse 9, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what would walking in the light be? If you're walking in the light, you have something by which you can see the darkness, the darkness that is within. You walk in the light and you know that you're a sinner and you are confessing your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, he's basically repeating it again. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. This 
conflict between the darkness and the light. If you're walking in the light, you're convicted of sin. Being convicted of sin is a good thing because you're led to the confession of sin and you're cleansed. And this is not described as something that happens once and once only in our lives. It's part of Christian growth. It's part of growing into Christ-likeness, recognising your ongoing failures. Yes, Jesus died for all of our sins, for all time, once and for all. He has died for the sins that we commit, the sins that we have committed, the ones that we are committing, the ones that we will commit. But the work of the Spirit in our lives is to bring us to the light. And as we come to the light, we're aware of the darkness. If all you've ever known is darkness, you don't know what light is. When you come to the light, you realise what the darkness was. And you confess your sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just turning it back into the Gospel of Luke again. Once again, hear what the Lord is saying. Nobody's like this naturally. This just doesn't come to people easily. Nobody nobody just completely denies themselves and surrenders totally to the providence of God because that's their nature and that's the way they're born. There's a struggle. There's a battle going on. We who were sinners have been saved, yet we fight with the sin that remains. It is made possible for us because God has given us his Holy Spirit. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, victory is before us. I'm telling you, victory is before us. If you're a Christian and you're fighting and you're struggling with particular sin, I'm telling you that victory is before us. It's promised. It's given. It's given by the power of God's Holy Spirit. You might wonder how you're going to win. And my answer is, well, in a way, you're not going to win. God is going to win. And God is going to transform you in winning. The Holy Spirit is going to keep dragging those who are Christians back into the light. And we are going to continue to confess our sins and to be cleansed of our sins. Slowly but surely, God doing his work in sanctifying us by the power of his Holy Spirit is actually going to make us like these people that Jesus speaks of. And you might not even notice it because sometimes... It's hard not to see yourself for what you know you at least have been. But there's a victory there. We are to be godly. We are to remember that God was gracious to us, even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies of God. We, we, we did not deserve salvation, just as no one else deserves salvation. And if we are sons of the Most High, we have been told that we are to show the love of God to mankind. We do it through prayer. We do it through sharing the gospel. We do it through treat, treating people with kindness. We've got to seek to treat people with kindness that doesn't even come naturally, yet we are to do it. And we're to do it even to our own harm. Sometimes love looks like letting someone hit you twice. Sometimes love looks like letting someone take away your clothing. Some, and, you know, Jesus is not talking here about being stripped naked. He's simply talking here about someone, un, someone unjustly taking away your warm coat. Sometimes love looks like giving to someone who begs. Sometimes love looks like 
lending to someone knowing that it might never come back and being willing still to lend. Love looks like doing good for people who are not inclined to do good for us. By the power of God's spirit, we can do these things. By the power of God's spirit, we can be Christ-like to the world around about us. And it's not our worry whether or not this leads someone to repentance or not. It's actually God's worry. If God chooses to use us and to use our love against someone to testify against them in their hardness of heart, that's God's will. We leave that into God's hands. We leave people to God. Let God do with them as he will. We pray for their salvation. We do whatever good we can do. But in the end, we know that these things come from God and these things are done by God, not by us and not in our own power. So my friends, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, such challenging things come to us from your word. Father, we know from your word that we are sinners and we know that we fail every day to do these things that we ought to be doing. We fail to love our neighbour as ourselves. We fail to do that which is right in your eyes. Yet, Father, we also know that you are gracious and merciful and that you forgive us our sins and that it is by the power of your Holy Spirit that we are constantly brought back into the light. Father, we pray that you would help us to be Christ-like. We pray that you would help us to be obedient. We pray, Father, that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in our lives and that we would do that which you command of us. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.